Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. We are continuing our series on others. And really what we're doing is talking about people who are outside of our circle of comfort. Looking at people who we would consider perhaps other people who for one reason or another are marginalized by society and we're looking at different people in scripture where that took place and how does Jesus treat these others and we want to be able to do it in a way that we then can learn how to do it as well and so this morning I'm going to be talking about income tax returns storage units and toxic waste turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. It's a story that you're probably familiar with. If you've been in church at all, you have heard the story. You maybe even have sung little songs about this man. But let's read this story. Again, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was, a sm- he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it. Fourfold, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. As we look at this story, I would like to get a little bit more insight into who Zacchaeus was. And so even as we did last week with the woman at the well, uh, we're going to have Mauricio come up and share a little bit about Zacchaeus. Would you welcome Mauricio? I'm not really sure that I piqued my interest in you, 
Maybe it was seeing my, fine, my friend Levi go through the extreme home makeover of his life. Or it could have been the word on the street. I mean, everyone was talking about you. Maybe it was the stinging title that they gave you, the friend of the tax collector and sinners. Maybe it was all of that. I'm not sure. But something in me had to see it for myself. Chasing rabbis isn't really my thing. I hadn't been to the temple in years except for the first, when I first started out, my tax, the tax business. But that was just to collect from the priests who were always trying to hide from the coffers in Rome. They imagined the ridiculous world where religious communities were tax exempt. You found me up in that sycamore tree that day. I had to climb in that stupid tree. You see, I have a big head and a big wallet, but I got small legs. Being short was never an issue for me, though. I ran the biggest tax racket in all of Jericho. Like a mob boss, I ran into the, the three big tax cartels. One was your, the, the Jerusalem cartel, the Carpatinian cartel, and mine, the Jericho cartel. And holding back and being the boss meant that I had to be ruthless. Even seen as a tax collector, beat someone up holding back from the coin, and I promise you, they learned that from me. My guys knew that I would treat them much worse if they didn't bring me back my share. The, the way the game was played was simple. Rome had to get their money, so Caesar's purses were full. We ran from the military built the buildings, paid the bills and the governors, and the officials made a run home along for the superpowers that it was. None of that was cheap, and only way to keep the place going was through the taxing the people. And that's where I came in. Rome hired out of the tax businesses. They understood that my people, the Jews, could be a rowdy bunch, if I'm being honest, would be more than willing to pay if to pay if the people were that they were paying to were Jews themselves. I saw an opportunity, and I went for it. I might be, it might be small, but I had big dreams. I negotiated a deal with the powers and the, that collected to the taxes, for, with my fee, of course, and that I would be responsible for delivering Rome their money. I had a lot on the line, if I didn't pay, it was my neck. And here's how I figured it out. We collect more from the Rome was asking for. This makes up the peasants who never gave their money. And it helps me be happy. It keeps my guys happy as well. The Jews already hate me, but they hate everyone. And my wife would live in the house of, my, in the house of our dreams. I'm like a Madoff of Jericho, you might say. The folks all around me hate me, but I'm not trying to win any popularity contest here. I was on top of my game, and let me tell you something, that the view from up top is the best that you'll ever get to see. No one gets to where, to where I was without knowing to make a few things happen. By force or by diplomacy, I always won. That's the art of the deal, you might say. Anyone who says they'd rather have a faithful Jew than a rich one have never spent a night under the Egyptian cotton sheets. They're surprisingly cool in the summer and warm in the winter. 
And it still puzzles me on how that works. Anyway, long story short, I was a feared man. Men like me who are feared don't take the teachings of the Messiah. But I have heard so much about you, and I wanted to see that for myself. I had heard of you, even when they told people that they collect. Even when the people told me that you paid their that that the people to that you told the people to pay their taxes to Caesar and give the God to what the gods. So I figured, at least my business will not be at risk. I didn't know then of how much my tax racket had turned into someone that I didn't even recognize myself today. I was a monster. Literally, people came close from dying in my hand, and I extorted, extorted money from the king and my countrymen, never thinking twice about it. I liked power as I liked stuff. I liked all the things that came along with having both. And I'll never forget that day that I climbed up in the fig tree to hide behind the big leaves to get a good view at the same time. Obviously, I didn't want anybody to, uh, to be seen by the, t- by the townsfolks, but my, my curiosity got the best of me, and to this day, I'm not totally sure why I did it. Dissatisfaction had never, been gr- had never been growing in my life that year, and everything that I touched had been exposed to viruses and unhappiness. I had everything in my business could ever want, but there was a shallowness about it. You can drink all the bottles of fine wine, but then you realize that they're just still grapes and, and that are crushed in their, in their ages. All those rooms sitting empty in my home was creating a hollow space in my soul. And maybe it was just there that I'm getting older, a midlife crisis or whatever, but a lot more than that happened. Anyways, always, I'm sorry, always talking to the dangers of loving money instead of the God, preaching on and on as a rich man in the eyes of the needles and things I never fully understood, all the emptiness that created curiosity that I, could push, that I couldn't push away. So off I went to hear the rabbi wanting to find out more for myself. I started walking towards the crowd and that I used you started walking through the crowd towards the tree that I was in. I felt so stupid there. I tried to be still and held my breath thinking, hoping that you would walk right past me. Zacchaeus, I heard. And that was you calling my name. My heart got stuck in my throat, and it was like a worst nightmare for me. The big wig rabbi calling me out of the front of the crowd and you could hear the laughs and murmurs ripple through the crowd as you were finally going to get as they were finally going to get my revenge which was public humiliation but you didn't do that instead you were not what i expected religious people that i've met before were snub-nosed and my entire adult life walking with their heads so high and mighty as if they were superior. I figured that you would be, that you would give me a lecture like, like I have been in the past. And I couldn't act, and, I, and you didn't act superior and holy 
but surely you were the son you were the son of son of man for crying out loud but instead you just told me that you were coming to my house and i complied to bring back my mind i thought my wife was going to kill me the housekeeper didn't come for 2 days and my whiskey collections were right there in the dining room displayed. And frankly, my house was a little over the top, especially for the likes of a traveling rabbi. But hopefully, you'll like my Egyptian cotton sheets. I offered you hospitality, but in reality, you're, one, you're the one who welcomed me. And that changed the whole game. I put on my best spreadsheet that I could with such short notice, while you, you didn't seem overly impressed, you didn't look down on me either. You even told my wife that she had a very lovely home. It better be. I spent a lot of money on it. And then you asked me more about my family, my children, what my likes, my dislikes were. You, I, you told me more about it had interest in me, about the books that I read and the music that I listened to. You had an interest in me. You were talking to me as if I was just a normal human being that saw past my money and my powers and didn't care about any of that. You never judged me, but you had the fire that I was missing. You had something that was more powerful than all the money and all the powers could create me. Only the fire that could create peace and shalom. The fire I had in my heart just gave me heartburn. And you talked about your father and your kingdom. And I realized that was, the, that, that was the, the dice that I was playing in the wrong game. I was worshiping the wrong kingdom. Over dinner, I'm sorry, that changed the raw and the sudden of everyone that thought that who had lost my mind. I, even though... Uh, I lost my mind. Even, I'm not even sure of what overcame me, but I stood in front of the table and I raised my glass to my friends and family that I would commit to give half of all my riches back to the people. And I even said that I would give 400% interest of the people that I did wrong. Quickly doing the math in my head, I realized that this would leave me relatively broke. But in all honesty, I realized that I wanted to be your disciple. My hands, who was once cleansed with fists of power, clinging to the coin, were open to hands of worshiping for you, my Father God. And said the salvation, you said salvation came to my house that day. I call it the day that I met you, blessed Jesus, and welcomed me home. And letting go of my stuff, it made the room for my life, for my life, what truly is life. And I did end up keeping the cotton sheets. <laughs> Thank you, Mauricio. Maybe that gives you a little bit of a different idea than kind of the flannel graph stories you might have heard in church about a wee little man and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was really kind of more like 
a mob boss. Okay, he was despised by people. He made money by extorting people. I don't know if any of you saw the movie Wizard of Lies with Robert De Niro playing Bernie uh, Madoff and how he just had that Ponzi scheme and took billions of dollars from all kinds of people. It's more along that line than just a, a little guy collecting taxes. The way that taxes were collected is they would get a Jew, even as was mentioned, and they would be responsible for so much money depending on the people in that community. And so the tax collector would go to the people and say that they had to pay more, and whatever they made over that amount, they got to keep. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which meant he had people under him, and it was not incidental that he was very rich because he was rich off of his fellow Jews. And so thinking about the type of person he was who would make money by taking it from others, who would become rich by taking more than was necessary, imagine how the people looked at him. And so when Jesus calls him down and they grumble, you're going to go to a house of a sinner. Really, Jesus, you're going to save that guy? And I hope by now that when you hear me say the word save, it's not you're going to lead him in a prayer and have him attain to a certain belief system. All right, that's not what we're talking about. It's not about saying the prayer. It's about connecting someone to God who had been disconnected. It's about restoring the image of God in someone where that image was gone or was broken. And salvation coming to Zacchaeus was connecting Zacchaeus to who he was supposed to be and the life that God had intended him to live. He is going to his house. And Luke puts this here in his gospel because it's a a focal point of his gospel. Luke deals a lot about wealth throughout his gospel and those things. And the key verse would be verse 10 where he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost, right? There's the whole idea to save someone who is lost. In other words, I'm going to help them to be found. I'm going to bring them back to a place where they're supposed to be. And of all the people that God would want to reach, why would it be this guy? In fact, of all the people God would not want, you would think it would be this kind of a person who takes advantage of his fellow countrymen. It would be this kind of person who has made money, a lot of money, by extorting it from others. He's a traitor. He's a thief to his own people, making money for this pagan government, the Roman government, and oppressing God's people. Put someone in this category that you would know here today. How would you feel about that person? Someone who is betraying the United States, who is making money for some other country that you disliked and was overtaxing these people 
And to think that Jesus would go and say, hey, I want to have dinner with that person. That's exactly what we have here. And with God, all things are possible. Even rich men can go through the eye of a needle. The amazing thing about this story is how salvation takes place. There is a a transition that takes place in the heart of Zacchaeus, where he, he moves from a person who was holding on to a God of money that he served, that he found value in, that he found his identity in, to leave that all and follow after Jesus instead. There's a tension that takes place in our lives when we have to say, all the things I've been doing are wrong, I need to change. That is a hard place to get to. It's a very difficult place to admit our own fault. To to say, I've been blind in how I've been seeing things and I need to see things the other way. And here, the hardest people to get to do that are the religious people. Zacchaeus, there is no way that God is going to reach him. Money has a strange effect on us. Just the way it, it captures our attention. I always think it's funny when you see the lottery goes up to hundreds of millions and people say, oh, I'm going to play now, as if 20 million wouldn't do you good, right? Oh, I need hundreds of millions because, you know, I, I just have to have all that money. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, okay? Don't judge. There are times where I'll drive by and I'll say a billion, uh, you know, $300 million on the lottery. And I'm thinking, okay, $300 million, and I'll pull out a calculator, right? Does anyone else do this? No, okay. And I'm like, okay, say they take half of it. That's $150 million. And then I'll divide it over 20 years because I guess that's what they do. And then I'll divide it down to the week. I would make, you know, 30000 a week, you know. I just, And then my mind starts going, what would I do with $30,000 a week? And then I go to my dog training lesson and I'm like, reality hits, right? <laughs> Money has a way of doing things to us. Even your income tax, right? When you are going to get that check back from your income tax, it's like, oh, happy day. It changes your countenance. All of a sudden, you have hope in the world. All of a sudden, there is this potential. Yes, things are going to be okay. Why? Because I got a check back from the money I already gave. And you get this idea of, man, things are, are going to be better just because I got my income tax return. It has a power to it, money. It's a false power saying that this is going to make you secure, that this is going to make you happy, that this is going to give you some kind of power. This will save you, give you life in in some form or another. It has this illusion to it that captures our hearts so many times. And Zacchaeus had put all his cards on this at the cost of his honor, at the cost of his reputation. And it didn't pay out. It didn't fulfill as he wanted it to. It didn't satisfy. After meeting Jesus, what happens, the salvation, how it looks, is he begins to divest himself and what he was holding on to. He began to, to let go of this idol so that he could actually take hold 
what is real, what is genuine. But he had to let go of it. He, he had to release its power on his la- life. He had to move from a place of a consumer, and then he became a contributor. And, and that's how we see salvation take place. We, we, we see the change, and what he's saving is who he is, who he was meant to be. We, what we see is that he has now become a person of the kingdom instead of a person trying to make his own kingdom. And really, that is our choice, isn't it? We can either build life for ourselves, our own life, and hold on to it with all we have, get as much as we can get, try and consume and consume to make ourselves satisfied, or we can live for the kingdom of God. But to do that, we have to divest of this other one. We have to let go of its hold on our life so that we could take hold of these other things. And and Zacchaeus is actually the culmination of one of the focal points in Luke's gospel. Luke, throughout his gospel, deals with this topic. In Luke chapter 4, that's 19. It's not working. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Never mind the screen. It says something else. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus begins his ministry quoting from Isaiah, who is speaking about the Messiah and saying, this is what I'm going to do. This was my resume. And this is how you know it is me. This is what I'm here for to preach good news to the poor, that is to give value to those who had none. And so the beginning of Jesus's ministry, Luke starts off with this, I'm here for those who have nothing, to give them something. In Luke chapter six, verse 24, it says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. He's again telling them, you've got the comfort you wanted. This is what you lived for. That's what you get. He he warns that those who put their hope in wealth are building on unstable ground. They're, They're building on sand that can't support the needs of their soul. In Luke chapter 12, he tells the story of a man who had a lot of stuff and he kept building more barns. He tore down the old barns and he built new barns so he could hoard more stuff. In chapter 12, verse 20, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus pulls back the curtain on the idol of money and he shows it as being 
foolish. You, you've, you've put your, bag, your eggs in this basket and it's not going to hold. And it's going to leave you with nothing. If you're living to get bigger barns and more stuff, it's foolish. Stuff. Doesn't it amaze you how many times you clean out your garage and there's still stuff there? Now, I have to confess, I don't clean out the garage my wife does. Her and the others, they clean up their but then I would say I don't put as much stuff in it. So I'm, no, that's not. It's just amazing how much stuff we accumulate. Storage units. Who would have thought storage units would be as big a thing as they are? Do you know how much money is invested in storage units annually just in the United States? I should say no. $32.7 billion to hold stuff that we can't keep in our own garages. We have to find other stuff. I don't even want most of the stuff in my garage, right? And now I got to get another place to hold other stuff that wasn't good enough to stay in my garage. $32.7 billion holding stuff. Now, of course, there are things that you might need. You know, there might be machinery or things that are investments, things you can't keep too big or whatever reason. But you, as well as I know, that most of this is just junk. When I used to do painting, we had to paint a storage unit. And we would go in there, and they would have people who would, like, default on the payments. And so they would cut the locks, and they would clear out the stuff, and we would have to kind of clean up the place. And it was just junk. You'd go in there, and there'd just be trash. There'd literally be trash bags. Someone would rent a storage unit and put trash bags in it. Why? Holding on to this stuff. $32.7 billion hold extra stuff. How tragic it is to spend the whole life investing in things and not in people. To investing our lives into things that we can hold on to instead of seeing how we can give things away. In chapter 16, Luke goes on and he says to the why. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus gives a strong warning that the human heart cannot hold on to both God and to this desire for money, that they will pull us apart. There is a image I ran into on Melrose Avenue when I was at a little conference there at the improv. And I love this. When I saw it, I took a picture of this, you know, person holding on to this bag of money that's holding him down and his love pulling him up and they're being torn. This love is one direction and this money is the other direction. In 1993, Switzerland had surveyed to find places where they could dispose of nuclear waste because they wanted to go to a a society that had cleaner energy, but they had to deal with the nuclear waste. 
And so there were two locations that they determined would be the best place for them to put the nuclear waste in. And so they went to the neighboring communities and had kind of town hall meetings and asked the people how they felt about us being able to put this waste here in this space that's near your community to get our country on nuclear energy and not be dependent on other people for our energy. And when they polled the people, 50.8% were in favor. So they were ahead by just a margin, right? Just over 50% said, okay, we're okay with it. But that wasn't good enough for them. So they wanted to get more people on board. They wanted to look better. And so they offered everyone who were in these communities money. It started off at $2,000 and it ended up to over $6,400, I think it was, annually that they were going to pay these people compensation just because they were going to be living near this nuclear waste site. And you know what the percentage went? You'd think it would go up, right? It went to 20.4% when they were offered money. And they said, why? What's this? It was going to go there and you were all for it, but now we're going to do it for money and give you money and you're less. And what they found out is that people were willing to do it for national pride. But when they said, we'll pay you for it, they said, no, I don't want money is not going to buy this from me. You see, their love for their country was stronger than the money they offered to them. And what happens in our brains is when money comes on the table, it has a counterintuitive effect to where love is. That's why you can't buy me love, right? You can't do it because they are contrary. If you're going to do something because you want to, and then someone offers to pay you, you're no longer doing it just for love. That's why I don't pay my wife. She does it for love. I couldn't afford it. But you see, you can't serve God and money. They're, they're pulling you in different directions. And if you're going to live for this success and for this money so that you can get the things, you're going to find your heart divided because there's a kingdom that God is building, but you're building your own. And that's where Zacchaeus was in this place. Money has godlike power in our lives. It can make you feel secure. It can make you feel significant in the VIP, right? You ever gone somewhere and been able to go into the VIP section? It feels good. A friend of mine used to work for Nederlander, uh, company that did all kinds of events and he would get us in to like the backstage like go to the forum club and i remember we went to a laker game when they were still playing at the forum that's how long ago it was and we were sitting like four rows up from the court and people were coming to us and bringing us food and the guy had worked out so whatever we ordered was already paid for and so I'm sitting four you know, chairs up from the court and I'm getting food brought to me and I'm not having to pay. I felt like uh, I own the place. It was like, this is good. It brings this feeling of, of power. And it can give you power over people. 
And Jesus warns that the God of money will leave you bankrupt in your soul. That if that's what you're living for is that kind of prestige, that kind of notoriety, that kind of positioning of strength, power over people so that you can be seen, then the kingdom of God is going to be moving far from you and you will miss it. Zacchaeus gets this. He tears down the idol of money and he produces, it produces in him generosity. For many people, not everyone, okay? I don't want to throw everyone in this bucket. But in the Western world, we want both, right? I want Jesus, but I want my nice ride. I want Jesus, but I want the comforts that I have. I want Jesus, but I also want the stuff. And so people will sacrifice things that would be useful for the kingdom of God so that they can get more stuff, so they can be more comfortable. A lot more people would be willing to go on a retreat to Hawaii than go on an excursion to Haiti. I should show you the shower I had in Haiti. It was a pipe with a valve on it. That was it. Save hot water that way. Just one pipe, you turn on the water, and it comes out. Who wants to go? I didn't want to go, okay? I'm just telling you, I don't want to shower in that thing. I'd rather be someplace nice. I'd rather, I don't like camping. I like comfort. But what if God is out there? Am I going to miss what God is doing because I want to be comfortable? And it's part of our culture. We are a nation of consumers. We use things, throw them away, buy new things. Fill up storage units. Consume, consume, consume. What would happen if that $32.7 billion was used to help revitalize communities schools, help people to be able to establish, get on their feet, whether it be in our country or anywhere else? What if we took all the stuff and invested it in people, kids and their education, helping single moms get better jobs? What would happen if we invested it in people? Because that's what the kingdom of God is about. Think of how we could change just the face of our world if we weren't so committed to our comforts. And I'm not speaking to you guys. I'm speaking to me. You just happen to be in the same room, okay? I'm bearing my soul to you because I'm in the same place as you guys. I struggle with these things too. And Zacchaeus is that guy who's the antithesis of all that this represents. He's the one we can blame. He's the one we can look to and we can say, oh, that guy is over the top. That guy is too much. Look at how he's abused his power and this wealth. And Jesus goes to him. And that's where he reaches him. We need to learn how to deal with these things. You know, we have to learn from those Christians who actually have two coats and give one away. 
I like coats. You, I've got a, a coat for when it rains, but then you need like a windbreaker for when it's just a little breezy out, right? And then you need, you know, a dress coat, you know, for when you go out. I need a, a winter coat for skiing, even though I haven't skied in 30 years, right? It's like I've got all these coats. I need my old varsity jacket for sentimental reasons. like where there are people in this world who if they have two coats, they'll give one away because all they need is one. There, there is a move that is taking place, and it's not even just in the church. It's in the world, minimalists, who, who go out and see how they can live with less, and they're actually happier. You guys seen that Netflix, minimalists? 30 items. You can have 30 items of clothing, and that's all you get. I got 30 pairs of socks. Luke 18 builds this theme up with the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler, he said, I kept all your commands, but in truth, he was an idolater. And his identity was found in money, not in God. How difficult it is for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke 18, 25, 26, I guess. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. After he says that it's more, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, they ask him, well, who can be saved? Now, I think Jesus, when he's talking about entering the kingdom of God, is talking about participating in the work of God more than whether if a person goes to heaven or hell. I think what Jesus is talking about it is a person is connected to the heart of God, to the will of God, to the work of God. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And those who heard that say, how can this happen? With man, it's impossible, but with God, it's possible. So, Luke is going to this place, the rich young ruler, harder to go through an eye of a needle with a camel than a rich man to go into heaven. And then comes Zacchaeus. What happens in chapter 19? The camel goes through the eye of the needle. Because God does something when he awakens within us the reality of who we are and the reality of what his kingdom is. When he awakens within us the understanding that all the things do not bring what they say they will. I forget which actor it was who said, I wish all could be rich so that they could realize that riches will not buy happiness. As a comedian, I forget what his name is. Anyone remember? Ah, anyway, I'll remember tomorrow at three in the morning. I wish everyone could be rich so they could realize living for riches doesn't satisfy. What happens in chapter 19 is we see the work of God when it grabs hold of a person and it transforms them from a person who lives their life to the full of what they can get 
to giving all they can so that they can have what only God can give. He gives 50% of all that he has, 400% restitution, and Jesus calls it salvation. Not because he gave the money, because he turned from the idol of his wealth to the genuine love of his soul. He found himself by no longer serving his appetite for money, but serving God by caring for others. I'm not going to abuse people so that I can get more. I'm actually going to help them, and I find that I am more. We tend to make the gospel sentimental instead of practical so many times, but following Jesus makes a big shift in our lives. It, it, it is to move us. It's not about just what we say. It's not even about what we believe. It's about how we live. You see, beliefs don't change a person the way they behave do. If the belief doesn't show up in what I do, then I question what is that belief? It's sentimental. It means something to me, but it doesn't actually change me. It's about what holds our affection and how we're going to live in this world for the kingdom and with where all that we can have, what are we going to yield to? Where are we going to build our storage containers. James says, how can a faith save you that doesn't show up by how you live? And his example is if you see someone who's poor and you don't help them to get out of that situation, what good is it? How does that help? Now, I know a few people who are very wealthy, and some of them are the most generous people I know. Some of them go out of their way to make work for others so that other people can make livings for their family. They're very generous in the things they do for the Lord, how they donate, and they give a large percentage of what they make. They do good with what they have, and Jesus has taken them with all their possession has walked them through the eye of the needle. Because that money doesn't hold them. They're able to use it for these things. And it's the same way that we come to God, by recognizing that we are created in Christ for good works, that we might walk in them. And so this talk about Zacchaeus, it's easy to look at him, but he is mirroring us in some way. He is mirroring the areas of our lives that have been hoarded, been kept from God. And it doesn't have to be just money. And what happened to Zacchaeus is he said, yeah, I'm going to give up what I'm holding on to. Let go of this so that I can give towards what is really necessary. And that's what we need to do. You know, it's been interesting just to be honest with our group here. Through the summers, things usually get slow here. You probably have noticed there's been times you come here and it's like, where is everybody, you know? At least if you don't say that, I do, right? I'm, where is everybody? Are they coming back? Hope so, you know? But even though the numbers have dwindled, the money brought in has stayed the same. And... I think 
a few things. I think, first of all, how grateful I am for the few people who carry this community and make it something that they own. I'm grateful. These are people who are committed to what God is doing here, who are partners with what God is doing here. But then I also am hurt for the people who come later when there's twice as many people, but the money stays the same. And again, it's not about us getting money. It's about us being able to do things. And you see, those few people who come, they're also the few people who serve. And so let this be a challenge to us. How can I take what God has given me and put it to use for what God is doing? And it doesn't have to be here at Genesis. I'm not saying this so that you'll just give here. But I'm saying this so that we will give of ourselves to wherever and whatever God is doing because I don't want to be what Zacchaeus could have been. I don't want to be the rich ruler who turns away because I just really want to hold on to mine. I want to go through the eye of that needle and I want to be what God has made me to be. And I want to do what is impossible except for God pulling on my heart and revealing to me what is of real value. What really matters, what it is to be a part of his kingdom. I want to love him and not all the stuff. I want my heart to give 100% to those things and not be held back by the other things. And I pray that you will join me in doing a, a soul search through this and asking God to reveal to us where we need to let go. What needs to change in our lives? What is holding us instead of God? And to let go of those things so that our hands can reach up and embrace and hold more strongly on to what God is doing. Let's pray. Lord, it is amazing how you will reach the person who seems the furthest away and use them to be an example of your love, of your grace, and what salvation looks like. It it is amazing to me how you are able to take what is impossible And make it beautiful. You can take a person who is so crooked and so despised. And turn them into a person who is an example. And Lord, I pray we would take this example that we read this morning. And allow it to infiltrate our lives. God, help me to not be such a consumer. Help me not to be so entangled with the stuff, with the comforts, and to 
turn a deaf ear to your voice that would be calling me to places of discomfort. God, help us to see that this really isn't about money as much as it is about what holds us and how we use the things that we have. Lord, I pray for us as a community that we would continue to be a community that is generous, that gives to those who are in need, to the orphans who are in Mexico, to the schools that are impoverished in Haiti, to those who are living in our own community who are without. Lord, may we continue to be a community that shows your love to people instead of getting more things for ourselves. And I thank you for everyone who is a part of this community who has given towards all these causes. Lord, I thank you for those few who who hold this place up with the things they do and how they give. And, And I pray, Lord, that you would make more of us, that you would multiply this characteristic so that we can do more. Lord, I pray that if Genesis left the city of Upland, the city of Upland would miss Genesis because we are so involved and caring. God, make that a reality instead of just a dream. Lord, that begins with me and how I live. It begins with us and what we care about. God, help us to hold on to the kingdom to let go of anything that would hold us back from what you're calling us to. I ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. May you hear God call out to you like he did to Zacchaeus to come down that he needs to spend that time with you. And may salvation show up in our lives even like it did in Zacchaeus where we make a shift from where we are consumers to where we are contributors to the work of God. May God be honored as he passes us through the eye of the needle. God bless you guys. Have a tremendous week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.